I want to look at Matthew 11 this morning. This passage um, is built around the story of John the Baptist, and he's been thrown in jail. He sent some of his followers to Jesus and asked, are you the one? You know, you're the one we were looking for. And uh, so I just want to look at some of that going on. Um, John the Baptist, very unusual life. I mean, his, his parents, his dad was a priest. His mother was from a priestly family. Um, they had wanted kids, hadn't had them. One day he's bringing a sacrifice, and he's told, you will have a child. And it blew him away, but he didn't really believe it. And so it says his lips were sealed, or he'd, he couldn't talk until the baby was born. And he was told to name him John. And so a very unusual beginning for this child. And even in it, um, when, when John was in the womb, Mary comes, and she's pregnant with Jesus. She comes, and Elizabeth says, the baby leaped within me. There was an awareness, you know, even in the womb, of another baby in the womb. And, you know, it's this beautiful thing of, of being with the Spirit, even from conception, which, you know, that was one of the prophecies about him. You know, that, uh, that he would, the Spirit would be upon him. So, I mean, when we talk about life, you know, the presence of God was already on that baby early on. Now, it was also said that he would live kind of an ascetic lifestyle. So he would, what he ate and what he drank and how he lived would be very precise and, and uh, disciplined in the way that we would see it. He wasn't to have anything from the vine. He, was, he would only eat certain things. But it was all a part of that worship unto the Lord that that was done. And we're going to see later that that's not what God calls everyone into, but at the same time, this is what was the marked on his life even before he was born. And so he followed through with that, grew up living in the desert. And then he has this powerful influence where he calls people to repentance, prepare the way of the Lord. Keep, uh, do things in keeping with repentance. You know, he, he's, they had been looking for a Messiah. They had been looking for the chosen one. And they all assumed that when the Messiah came, he would overthrow the corrupt government and it would, it would all be grand from that time on. And so when they're looking for the Messiah, the, the people that knew he was coming, they're assuming that somebody else is going to get it, right? They're assuming that others are going to be thrown out. And, and John's warning them and saying, you need to prepare your heart for the coming of the Messiah. You need to, to repent and be ready for his coming. It's kind of like when we, we talk about Christ's return and there's this happy expectation saying, and he'll set everything in order. And we look forward to that. But probably we ought to be saying, his coming needs to, to mean that I, I need to have my heart ready as well. You know, that I, there has to be a willingness in me to repent of anything that's profane, so that I truly am ready when he does come. 
So John hasn't seen things work quite the way that he'd hoped, and, and yet the, the fruition of what he's been about has happened because he gets thrown in jail and he's not getting bailed out. So the, the politics haven't straightened out yet. And yet he's, he's calling and saying, well, <laughs> couldn't you help a brother out? You know, are you going to set this right and get me out of jail? Or, you know, I don't know what his expectations were. But he calls and says, are you the one? And Jesus says, go back and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear. And he goes on and explains some of the good things that have been happening. He says, the kingdom of heaven is beginning to advance in a way that evil is being cast out. It's just not coming in the full measure of what you expect to see and what you desire. He says it's not, and Jesus was in a sense making a a declaration even in that the politics of things aren't getting ironed out in this moment. But he's saying if you have eyes to see, you're seeing that the kingdom of heaven is beginning to exert itself. And those that are bound and crippled by the effects of sin, they're being set free in ways that you never dreamed possible. And he says, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. So even when the kingdom of God comes in ways that we don't anticipate and it exhibited in ways that we wish for, but it doesn't always come around in quite the way that we would hope. And Jesus saying, blessed is the one who's not offended by these things. It, it makes me wonder, and this is a little bit of a side note, but Jesus spoke a lot about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, but the New Testament term that that the the believers took on for themselves was more the church, right? I mean, we we talk about us being an expression of the church. We don't necessarily talk about us being an expression of the kingdom of heaven. And yet, the kingdom of heaven includes the church, But there's an understanding that when God's rule is truly set in place, it affects not only people, it affects everything with creation, everything everything that you can imagine. Every created being, every angel, everything is involved, included with the kingdom of God. His rule is, is over all things. But when we talk about church, generally we're talking about the relationships that believers have around this common theme of Christ our Savior. And so it's, it's more about the people in that moment. And in other words, it's, it's a slightly smaller term as I see it. But that said, um, what Jesus is, is expressing to them is that there's a lot happening. This, this comes on the tail of him having sent out the 12 to do miracles in, in all th- throughout the region. So the word is getting out, and John's going... I don't get it. There's there's no political upheaval right now, but I still see things. What's going on? Jesus explains a little more of the ministry of John after his John's disciples go back. Is what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind, or did you go out to see a man dressed in soft clothing? Those behold, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. He says, what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you more than a prophet. So he is giving uh, creds to, uh, cred to um, 
to John, he's saying, this guy was amazing and has been amazing. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I will send my messenger before your face, who will prepare the way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. There are two verses right in a row that end up being complicated to figure out. This is the first one. I think what it means is that with Jesus opening the door, to the kingdom of heaven, there was an opportunity available to all of us that John only hoped for. Now, John was speaking a powerful message of repentance. People were responding to him. But the door was being opened to the kingdom of heaven through Christ in a way that we weren't, that hadn't been known. And what you and I have access to and what our hearts long for is to walk in the fullness of what was being opened and made available. What our desire is, is that Christ would work through us and speak to us in the same way. It's interesting that John made the declaration. He says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And the idea is that John's baptism was a baptism unto repentance. He was saying, repent of your sins. But what was promised through the Holy Spirit is that there would be an actual change of heart, a transformation of character that it would allow people a cleansing that they didn't ever dream of. That what's offered to us by the power of God is that our lives would be transformed in Him. That the very things that have held us bound would be broken off. How is it that there are times when you're going, I don't know why I get so angry at times and why I explode this way and why this comes out this way. And then a few years down the road, you're going, I don't react the same way I used to. I don't, I don't even consciously remember making the choice to do different, but something's different in me. And, and there's numerous areas that way where we look and say, you know, I used to be so bound up with jealousy and envy of others and Now, I actually rejoice when I see good things taking place. And I know the same God that's dealing with them is dealing with my heart as well. So Jesus is saying, John, he was a great man. But he didn't have full access to everything that you and I have. What an incredible thing to chew on. Then he goes on. It says, from the days of John the Baptist till now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah who was to come. And again, I, I will throw out an interpretation for this verse, but I don't know that I have the full handle on it. Okay? So when, when you read this, the kingdom has suffered violence. There's a lot of the good that's been done that has been pushed down and oppressed. And that's come through violent people. But he goes on to say, it's still, it's, and there's two interpretations to this. Violent are trying to grab the kingdom and clutch it for themselves. Others are saying, those that were 
excluded and had no opportunity or no insight are suddenly grabbing onto with interest and saying, this has got to be a part of my life. And either way, it translates well, right? The beauty of this particular, the second one is this idea that when we see what God can do in the transformation of a life, there's something that says, I need that for myself. And I need him to set me free of the sins that plague me. I need him to set me free of, of uh, the, the, the bondage that the enemy has placed on my life. And the privilege of Christ in us is the transformation of a heart that was promised. What a beautiful thing that is. Jesus goes on and says, He who has ears, let him hear. But what shall I compare this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. You played the flute. We played the flute for you. You didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. Jesus was saying, we can sing happy songs, you don't respond. We can sing sad songs, you don't respond. What's the deal? He says, John came living very tight and precise, and you said he had a devil. He says, the Son of Man came, and you, you claimed that he was a drunkard and a glutton because he lived different than John. And he's going, you didn't accept either one. So he says, what can I compare this generation to? You know, one lived, one lived the, the real strict lifestyle, one didn't live a strict lifestyle, Neither one had their message received by you. What, what's, the, what's the deal here? This, uh, this verse became very important to me at one point because I was wrestling with an issue that, that uh, one of the issues in the Christian church, so to speak, and a lifestyle thing. And, and I, I got to looking at this passage and, and looking at it and going, John and Jesus were raised as closely together in time as, as anyone, and location the same, similar backgrounds, and yet God called them to different lifestyles. That's powerful. That means that you and I, at times, may be called to something different in lifestyle then the person's been raised identical to us. So there are times when, you know, when we can take shots at others and say, well, God told me not to do that, and if, if you'd truly listen, he'd tell you the same thing. That's not really fair. Now, if it's a case of right or wrong as listed in Scripture, then that's not really an option, is it? But if it's one of those aside things as far as behavior and how you do things, there is enough room within the kingdom of God that we have to ask him what he desires of our lives. And sometimes he's going to call you to stricter things than you see of anyone around you. And it's okay. It's a good thing because he's doing a particular work in you. Or you may be looking at someone else and saying, I sure wish they'd listen to God because he'd tell them this is wrong. Regularly, we get that when we see someone else is doing something maybe we'd like to do and we just don't have that peace. 
And yet, even in that, there's this awareness that if Jesus and John are raised in the same setting, at the same time, in the same place, and called a difference, maybe we better leave some room in our lives to watch others do the same. Maybe God hasn't chosen to deal with them yet. Maybe he will never choose to deal with that issue. But we have a responsibility to say, God, what do you want in my life? And how do you want me to respond? Because that's what, each of them found what God had asked of them and did it. That's the beauty of this. And that's what we have to, to go after as well. So for John came neither eating or drinking, and you say he's a demon. For the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they said, look at him. He's a glutton and a drunkard, friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. And it goes on and it tells how, he says, there's more room for Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, which were, they got it with fire from heaven. So they hadn't been living well. But he says, there's more grace for them on the day of judgment than there is for these cities that have seen the miracles of God. And that's kind of the challenging thing, right? That when we have seen the hand of God work or when we know his work in our life, then there's a responsibility to respond to that and keep walking forward in him and to allow him to take us wherever he will. Because Jesus was saying, there were miracles done all over the place here, and yet you're not getting it, you're not listening because you don't want to hear it. And among the religious establishment, it was that they already had their system down. They had their social status. They had their wealth. They had their way of doing things, and they didn't want anything to shake that. They were happy and content. And Jesus was coming along and saying, it's different than what you anticipate. It's different than what you thought, and yet you're going to have to change. So he tells them it, it, it he goes on and, and explains that that's, <laughs> it, it just isn't good to not respond to the Lord. Let's look at the 25th verse. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. So he's saying... <laughs> It's not those who think they've got it or are so locked up in their pride that just says, I know better than everyone else. But he's saying there's a humility in children and for those that humble themselves like a child, there's incredible opportunity to hear from God. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And then there's this beautiful passage. It says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And the beauty of that is, is that Jesus is saying, What I put upon you is not too heavy for you to carry. The load that I have planned for you or the path that I choose to take you is not more than what you are able to do. 
He says, I have a plan for your life. You know how you've chased things and it's just like it breaks down and it's not working? Or you've pursued something, you've given it all your might and it fell apart? Or you've chased something and and you had this grand dream and now the dream is just dead? He says, the dreams that I place in you, essentially he's saying, the dreams that I place in you, the path that I take you to get there, the way that this transpires, it's not too heavy. I have a good plan. The, uh, the picture is of a yoke, and I don't know if any of you have ever used a yoke, right? But throughout the world, it's been used as a, a means of carrying things or pulling things. And he's saying, I'm not going to ask too much of you. I'm not going to overburden you. I have a good plan even in this life. Praise to God. Would you stand with me? I'm forgetting that. I'm going to pray, then we're going to have communion. Every time. Lord, I ask that if there are areas of repentance that are needed in our hearts that you'd speak to each of us. That we wouldn't just look outside the church to those that need to change, but we would look inside as well, inside our own lives and say, do what you will. We thank you for the ministry of John the Baptist. And we thank you, Lord, that even for as wonderful as that was, that there is a freer access in you than what even John had. And that your spirit dwelling in each of us gives us an ability, a capability of hearing your voice and discerning your ways. We thank you that the load that you choose to put on us is not more than we can bear, but you have good dreams that can be fulfilled as we follow you. Amen.